Hello, everyone. Welcome to the season two finale of Requiem Radio. This episode, I decided to make a special plan by handpicking and selecting a group of people, all from different philosophical bases and beliefs, to get together and argue the classical notion of the logical problem of evil. All of these people here, like I said earlier, are representing their own respective faiths, and I'm looking forward to having a great conversation. A reminder, everyone on this panel agreed to meet with each other and speak on this. I am not looking for blood sport, but for a respective conversation where we bring out the best of everyone in their arguments. What I'm going to be doing now is going around the room for basic introductions. Following this, we'll go back around again for a basic, you know, opening for their view and problem of evil. And before all of that, my apologies, I'll be discussing what the problem of evil is. So, for the audience's record, the logical problem of evil is a philosophical argument that attempts to show a logical inconsistency between the existence of a malevolent, omnipotent, and omniscient God and the existence of an evil in the world. It presents a challenge to the traditional theist understanding of God. The argument can be summarized as follows. God is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. The theistic understanding of God includes the belief that God is all-powerful, capable of doing anything that is logically possible. Second, God is omniscient, all-knowing. God is also believed to be all-knowing, having complete knowledge of all events past, present, and future. Fourth, God is all-good or all-omnibulent. The theistic concept of God includes the belief that God is perfectly good, benevolent, and desires for well-being of the creation, and rounding this up is the existence of evil. How can evil exist in this world that can include moral evils, such as actions resulting from human choice, and natural evil, suffering caused by events like earthquakes, diseases, etc.? The question brought up here is the logical problem of evil argues that coexistence of benevolent, omniscient, and omniscient God of the existence of evil is logically inconsistent. If God is all-powerful, how could he prevent evil? If God is all-knowing, he would be aware of the existence of evil. If God is all-good, he would desire to eliminate or prevent evil. The presence of evil, therefore, seems incompatible with the attributes ascribed to God. Conclusion. The logical problem of evil concludes that the existence of evil in a world created and governed by an all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good God is logically incompatible and leads to contradiction. On this panel, I have with me John Boyer. He was going to be representing Thomism. Hello, John. Uh, John, hey, you're muted. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, hey, would you hey, care Sola. to do a quick introduction of yourself? Yeah, uh, so, so my name is John Boyer. Um, I teach philosophy at Loyola University of New Orleans. I'm a, uh, a Thomistic philosopher and a Roman Catholic, and I'm going to be representing the uh, Thomistic position on this question. Thank you very much. Next, we're going to be having Walter, who would be representing the atheist position. Walter, would you care introducing yourself? Uh, hey, what's up? Uh, my name's uh, Walter. Um, I'm a uh, philosophy major, uh, and I will graduate at uh, UNC. Um, I'm here representing the kind of uh, critiques that the problem of evil entails, and just kind of critiques of um, theism in general, and uh, I'll be representing the atheist perspective. Okay, sounds good. Next, we have King, who's representing Islam in the Ashari position. King, would you care to introduce yourself? Hey, my name's King. I'm a family man, happily married husband, um, a guy who studied pretty deeply in the Kalam tradition of Islamic theology, and a bibliophile. I'm going to be defending the Asharite position on the problem of evil, which is honestly sometimes taken to be akin to the atheistic position. So I hope I don't come across as being 
a mini version of Walter. <laughs> <laughs> um, next, we're going to have Mordecai, who is going to be offering to positions of rabbinic Judaism. Hi, Mordecai. I'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Mordecai. I'll be taking up the position of the problem of evil from the perspective of Judaism. I'll be drawing from the Book of Job, and I will also be drawing from the teachings of Maimonides. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Mordecai underscore MM. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Um, then we have Daniel, who's going to be representing the Protestant faith. Hello, Daniel. Care introduce yourself. Hey, everyone. How's it going? I'm Daniel, also known as Darwin to Jesus over at Twitter. A um, little bit about me is that I'm a former atheist. I was an atheist until about the age of 28. And then I found Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, got saved. And I've been in the faith for about the last four to five years. I love philosophy. I always have. I have a passion for what's true. And I'm excited to be representing the uh, position of Protestantism regarding this uh, very interesting issue. So looking forward to it. Okay. And last but certainly not least, my co-host of Record and Radio and someone helping out here, Hazy Dialect, who's going to be representing the agnostic position. Hazy, care to introduce yourself. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello, everyone. As usual, I am Hazy Dialects, the co-host of Requiem Radio, and I appreciate all of you for coming for Requiem Radio Season 2's uh, finale. As we discussed problem of the evil, I'm taking more of the agnostic stance on this situation, and while I am understanding, at the very least, of a lot of theistic arguments towards the problem of evil, some hardline issues um, for me arise. And hopefully we can get to that and really go through the logical rationales that everyone um, decides to um, lay out here for the rest of the podcast. I appreciate all of you coming along for this um, season two finale, and I greatly appreciate all your participation. Likewise, and from your host of Record Radio, I want to thank all the individual members on this panel for being here tonight. So thank you guys. But starting with that, we are going to be going into a quick, you know, opening a short overview of like what each person's beliefs are and what their view is on the problem of evil. Starting this off, we'll be going to John Boyer and John Boyer would be explaining his position for Thomism and for how to look at this. So whenever you're ready, John, feel free to speak. Sure. So the basic Thomistic approach, which is not unique to me, but uh, is held by uh, basically, I would say, all philosophers who uh, follow or belong to this school uh, based off of the philosophy of Thomas Aquinas, um, holds that the problem of evil, as as you presented at the opening solo, that the problem of evil uh, consists in a logical contradiction in the tense of theism of God being all-good, God being all-powerful, God being all-knowing, should imply the non-existence of evil. Um, ultimately, it uh, rests on several category mistakes. Um, it, uh, it ultimately is, for the Thomistic view, not a problem at all. Uh, that is not to say that there's not a mystery of evil, why God would allow evil to occur, or allow specific evils to occur. But the idea that the uh, existence of evil uh, somehow refutes um, or is contrary to the attributes of God uh, is held to be a, a non-issue. Um, mostly this, this boils down to uh, a disagreement between the way that the atheistic problem of evil is normally presented in terms of its assumptions about what it means for God to be all good. Um, and sometimes, depending on depending if we want to get into this or not, um, 
what exactly omnipotence involves. Um, and so the notion would be that God is not a moral agent. God's goodness is not, does not consist in moral goodness. And to assert that God is somehow uh, not good because he does not prevent evils and sufferings, a distinction I think we probably should explore at some point here, um, is based off of uh, a misunderstanding of, uh, of the nature of divine goodness. It imputes that God is being a bad person, uh, uh, just as you and I would be a bad person if we did not prevent evils from happening to our loved ones or to our neighbors. Uh, but that this is this is a category mistake when it comes to God. So ultimately, the Thomistic position uh, rests on a very different understanding of the notion of good, and and of the notion of what God, the divine nature, is than most typical uh, presentations of the problem of evil assume. Okay, thank you very much. Um, next, we're going to be going over to Walter, the counter. He's going to be the atheist. What is your overall view of the problem of evil? Um, so with the atheist perspective, I guess um, my whole view is that the problem of evil, I think, is a, a good stepping stone to get into the whole idea that um, there, there is no God and that the theistic position um, is not a well-grounded one. Um, but mainly, I, I don't think it's the main uh, argument that one should use to like kind of step away from theism. I think it's a good one, but uh, I do have to agree that I don't think it's the, the end-all, be-all, um, complete logical end of a uh, theistic entity um, or some kind of god. I guess my whole view of it though is is that if uh, there is a god who is all-knowing, maybe if your view believes that that is limited to not being able to know what agents with free will would choose to do, or if you are uh, all-powerful but you're not able to force things with free will to do things, uh, and if you're, you're all good, um, then all of those things kind of brought together should try and um, result in what I think would be a better world than the current one we have. Uh, it may not be a perfect world, but I think it would at least be a uh, better one than we currently have. Uh, I think for, for my view, there are two kind of distinct examples of like evil. There's like a natural evil and then like human evil. I guess we can talk about like the, the serial killers and the very kind of horrible things that happen on a daily basis between two people. Uh, but we can also think about like earthquakes, volcanoes, mass disasters, um, all kinds of things that relate to the kind of evil that is kind of inherent in the natural world and are not exclusively just between people. And uh, if we believe in the kind of God as the like creator of, of uh, the earths and the heavens and, you know, the universe, then uh, a world created by him would kind of bear his kind of responsibility in a way. Okay, thank you very much, Walter. And we're going to go down to King now and his view. Would you care to share? Well, the view of the Osherite school in respect to the problem of evil is that it's not a problem at all, at least in respect to Osherite theology. And the reason for that is because the Osherites do not believe in any intrinsic property of being that you can call evil or goodness to begin with. In fact, the Osherite holds that what you call good is just what God commands, and what you call evil is what he prohibits. And because of that, what some would call theistic subjectivism, or at least what I've seen in analytic literature, they don't even affirm the idea of the problem of evil as being a attack on their own theology, and instead throw it on others. Um, for example, Al-Ashadi, he historically threw this upon the Mutazilite theologians. He had a paradox known as the story of three brothers, and the story goes like this. 
you have one elder brother. He's a good and pious brother. And so he goes to heaven. And then you have a baby brother. He dies as a baby. And then you have a another brother who's wicked. And he goes to hell. And so it's the day of judgment. And since God is a good God and he seeks the best interest of all of his creations, the baby says, well, God, if I lived longer, well, it seems to be so that I could have gone to heaven and gone to the higher status in heaven that the pious brother went to. And God says to him, no, little baby, actually, I was looking out for your best interest. So you died as a baby because if you grew up, you would have been Hitler. And so baby Hitler is there nodding his head. Okay, okay, okay. But then the wicked brother comes. He's like, well, God, why didn't I die as a baby? And due to that, at least um, Al-Ashadi's uncle, Al-Juba'i, he couldn't really find much of an answer as to why the baby right here died. Baby Hitler died, but the actual Hitler didn't die. And that's a bit of the paradox that according to the traditional sources of al-Subki and others like that, made al-Ashadi reject the Mutazilite school of theology and found his own school. So in respect to my own opinion, I don't think that's necessarily a damning refutation of the omnibenevolence of God, the problem of evil. But I do think that it is totally, un- how do I say this, damning to certain views on the nature of omnibenevolence and things like this in relation to God. All right, thank you very much. Now we're going to go over to Mordecai. Hello, everyone. Is my mic coming through all right? All loud and clear. Perfect. All right, so I'm going to quickly just summarize my my talking points. So the Jewish, the Jewish scholar Maimonides taught that free will can explain the good and evil done by humans. So the Jewish belief is that people have good and evil inclinations. However, Jews do not believe in another authority. We only believe in one authority, that is God. And so Satan isn't actually a sentient being, contrary to other religions based off of the, um, the Old Testament, right? So instead of having a sentient being who creates evil, um, we believe God actually creates both good and evil. Um, this can be seen in, in the book of Job, where a righteous man is punished by God. Um, and so the book of Job, what it teaches us is, is essentially it is pointless to try and solve this problem of evil um, because good things, or sorry, bad things can always happen to righteous people. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we're going to go over to Daniel now, um, and he can share his view. All right. So I agree with uh, a few other people that have talked about this in some ways. The first way is that I don't see this as a problem for my worldview. And what I mean by that is if you think about the nature of evil, what is it? Well, evil is a perversion of goodness. So when you say that evil exists in this world, you're saying ultimately that there exists a perfect standard of goodness. And I don't know how you can ground the existence of something like evil without saying that ultimately, foundationally, there is an all-loving, all-good God. Because if there is no such God uh, that is a foundation of all reality, well, then when you say evil, really, what that's just going to boil down to is, I don't like what's happening. 
but that's not evil. That's just something that you don't like. And I don't like broccoli, right? So uh, to me, the problem of evil is really a problem for any worldview that doesn't believe in an all good being. Uh, to me, when we talk about the problem of evil, uh, as far as uh, theists who believe in a perfectly good loving being, what we're really doing is we're just speculating about why God allows evil. And in the Christian worldview, the reason why God allows evil is because he created a world, he created it good, and he created beings that he wanted to have a relationship with. Those beings were us, human beings. And in order to have a relationship with us, we had to have free will, because to create a being that doesn't have free will uh, is really uh, meaningless when it comes to a relationship. Imagine if you put a chip in your wife's head and, and she did everything that you wanted her to. Well, she's doing what you want, but that's not really a meaningful relationship. So God created human beings with the actual ability to choose him or not him. And human beings used that free will to choose not him. And that has resulted in a broken world. And in that broken world, we see the result of our choice, which is suffering and death and evil. And evil is committed by us. And it is when we do things that go against the perfect will of God. So to me, the problem of evil is not at all a problem for my worldview. It's actually a problem for any worldview that says evil exists and doesn't believe in an all-loving God, because how do you ground it? So those are my initial thoughts. Okay, thank you very much. And finally, we're going to be going over to Hazy. Yes. Uh, hey, everybody. So when it comes to the problem of God, I've been wrestling with it for quite some time. And typically, when people are communicating the evil, the problem with evil, typically what is being distilled, what is being communicated is a bad that is occurring onto people, um, that there is some um, suffrage that is being accumulated that can be prevented, um, not through a absence of the actions occurring through a um, retribution of some sort, as in the action can exist, but God has the ability to correct those who are more agents. And then when we talk about excessive levels of uh, correction, or some people might look at this as the existence of evil helps us understand how to be moral agents. We look at the excesses of evil, ones that aren't ones we can derive messages from, or ones that are seen as natural disasters, ones we cannot look at as something to look at principally, like we can learn from or ascertain some sort of uh, moral good as to like abide by or and opposed to their actions we can be better citizens rather this speaks to non-cognitive agents within the world such as natural disasters um, tsunamis hurricanes what have you within this we often look at the problem of evil as something that can be really prevented that doesn't um for most people ascertain some sort of greater narrative that could help them be faithful to a higher being or power, um, or rather is an is a argument towards the notion that if the agency did exist, this would be prevented because it isn't a it is a non-cognizant agent that is harming others with no moral qualms about it, and is a um, which leads most people to the conclusion that either God could be apathetic, or the argument is either that not that God is an um, God has to exist in order to identify this. Rather, it is an argument against the notion that God does exist. Like, 
the idea that these evils do exist with the omniscient of this ability and powers that God does have, he could prevent this. And so my biggest problem often leads itself to people claiming that it has to be some sort of makeshift world, like nightmarish, like existence for humanity to exist. If we were to accept that, oh, for evil to not exist, we would have to sponge um, human beings of all free will. When most people are arguing that this evil can exist, but it would be one with consequences, similar to our judiciary system in which someone gets punished for their actions, but we would still accept and acknowledge that Wayne Gacy, um, Hitler, what have you, whatever abhorrent human being that have, has existed to our like, society and humanity did have free will, but they were, they were punished for their actions. So that's usually why I fall in this subject matter and why I lean more on the pro of anything. Okay. That's my good. brief thoughts on it. So now that we got everyone's brief thoughts across the board, a common theme I seemed amongst all of you guys was one, talking about using good and evil. Two would be the concept of free will. And three would be the concept or natures of God. And we could go into those three mores, but before we do into that, with everyone speaking, what are your guys' general thoughts? I'll go first to John. Thank, thank you, everybody, uh, for, uh, for all your uh, summations. It's, it's, uh, it's good to hear. Uh, the different perspectives, and I'm particularly interested in uh, hearing more uh, about King's position because I'm not familiar with uh, that tradition at all, uh, and also from um, uh, uh, one of the, one of the other people here. Um, uh, let's see, it uh, Mordecai. Um, but uh, I, I just want to just want to propose a, a, a certain point that um, is often. Uh, that is noted in kind of the classic presentation of the logical problem of evil by the atheist philosopher J.L. Mackey. Um, Mackey states that um, the uh, that the problem, as you laid it out, Sola, um, does not explicitly generate a contradiction unless we make certain assumptions about uh, what we mean by good, right, and what we mean by uh, omnipotence. So Mackey points out. Um, uh, and says, quote, um, that the contradiction does not arise immediately. To show it, we need some additional premises or perhaps some quasi-logical rules connecting the terms good, evil, and omnipotence. These additional principles are that good is opposed to evil in such a way that a good thing always eliminates evil as far as it, is, as far as it can, and that there are no limits to what an omnipotent thing can do. From these, it follows that a good omnipotent thing eliminates evil completely, and then the propositions that a good and omnipotent thing exists and that evil exists are incompatible. So uh, I, I just want to kind of you know put that out there um, because I think Mackey's right um, uh, that we do have to clarify right what we mean here um, precisely by good, by evil, and by to lesser extent omnipotence uh, in order to see whether or not the uh, problem of evil is actually a problem for particular varieties of theism. Um, I don't agree with Mackey's uh, characterization here of, of his notion of good, but, um, but, but that's neither here nor there. I just want to point out that, that, uh, that the way that we interpret the, the terms in the premises, right, uh, the notions of good, of evil, and I'm glad that uh, Walter Wright brought up the distinction between natural evil, right, um, uh, versus moral evil. Uh, so, so I, I think that those are really, you know, key things that need to be kind of dealt with, right? Um, as well as, for example, King mentioning 
right? Uh, that in, uh, in his tradition, right, evil is viewed as a non-being. I would agree that evil is is a non-being. That evil is a privation. Not that there aren't evils. That is, to say that that there are things that which are deprived of do goods, but that it's not a positive force or positive entity. Um, uh, I don't think that I'm fully uh, in line with the way King was speaking about uh, good and evil from his perspective. But but uh, that really clarifying these terms, I think, is is one of the fundamental uh, keys to kind of uh, gaining a, a clear understanding and, and dialogue. Hundred percent agreed, and that's something I was going to ask you guys um, briefly after. How do we work with these definitions of good or evil, and especially how do you do so if we're in like a subjective morality terms where good for me can mean dif- different from or good from the other person or bad or evil for me can mean different from bad or the other person. So how do you make these arbiter judgments upon, you know, a supreme being if everyone has different, different definitions of this? And that's something I was thinking about in this discussion. That'd be interesting to hear more of what your guys' thoughts are. Just, probably, oh, um, just for the, I think, um, Probably for the most simplistic communication of it, usually the problem of evil is discussing some unjustified wrongdoing that occurs onto a person. Um, the simplest one is probably um, a murder or a killing or um, someone's uh, consent being violated um, sexually or some matter. Something um, most of us would agree that it's like an unspeakable evil, an evil that is so wrong that like I don't think there's a rationale we can provide to it that would not make it or articulate it to be evil. But for the most part, I think most people are talking about some undue wrong that, or undue bad that is happening to them. So um, mostly that's why it is inquired as why would this had occurred to me and uh, how unjustified it feels. All right. Thank you very much. Um, John, you were going to say something earlier and then we could go over to King. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I think that um, uh, making a distinction here, right? Uh, between uh, an example where I would completely agree uh, with what um, Hazy just said is, you know, those are evil acts, right? We would call those morally evil and completely repugnant and things that cannot be justified morally at all, right? But when I, when I'm, when I say, uh, what do we mean by evil, right? Uh, what is the nature of evil? Um, uh, I'm thinking in kind of a more metaphysical or, or ontological framework, right? Um, uh, what, what precisely is is an evil that is suffered right um is it a positive entity is it an object is evil an object in the world or is evil the absence of of a of an object the absence of of something good um and uh without getting into a full spiel here uh i would completely agree with with uh, your judgment about those things being evil and those things ex- occur right and thus thus i don't dispute the premise right that evil things occur but rather, I think that at least for my tradition, um, it's going to be important to make a distinction about the, the character of evil suffered and what kind of ontological status they have, uh, because it seems to me that there's kind of two there's kind of two aspects to the problem of evil, right? Um, uh, that kind of uh, they kind of need to be separated out or teased apart. One is is God a cause of evils occurring? As far as He created the world and the world has evil in it. Right? Is God causally responsible for evil? Put aside moral moral responsibility. Right? Does, if if God has no obligation to prevent evil and God causes evil to exist, right? 
then there would be – if I deny God has a moral obligation to prevent evil, then I'm being fully consistent. Maybe I'm not being consistent with the kind of religious view of God that I propose, right? But that would be a way to avoid the problem, yeah? If I say God True. has no obligation to prevent that, right? Yeah. So, uh, so, so on the one hand, we have the question of is God a cause of, of evil existing, right? And then secondly, right, um, we have uh, is God on the hook for allowing or not preventing Evil. And I think that's kind of what Hazy was kind of getting into, and I think that really is at the heart of of this problem. And and it's something which you know I I I think the logical problem of evil is something that can be easily dealt with philosophically, but I don't think that it's something that can be easily dealt with um, in terms of uh, fully coming to grasp with if there's a if there's a completely consistent account as to why God would allow evils to occur, um, why he would permit a particular evil is still something mysterious and still something that. That troubles us, and that anyone who's not troubled by the existence of these moral evils, such as Hazy mentioned, right, hasn't really reflected on the issue, right? hasn't hasn't thought deeply on this. There's the, uh, so I would distinguish between the puzzle or the logical problem of evil and the mystery of evil, uh, which is uh, something which uh, I think that uh, Mordecai was kind of bringing up a little bit with his references to Job. Okay, um, we're gonna go over to Walter now, and then we're gonna go to King after. Go ahead, Walter. Um, yeah, I guess uh, if we're going to try and, like, um, I guess do the definition game when it comes to, like, uh, evil, I guess even though as an atheist, um, it's kind of hard to think of uh, a a good definition of evil to ground in things. Um, it, it's not really just as simple as, like, um, uh, the absence of good or just uh, not really good things and just a really bad thing. Um, I guess uh, I would take... Um, this uh, philosophical idea that like evil can be described as like uh, incredibly like malicious actions on like uh, innocent parties for unjustified reasons. There's no moral justification for it, and that we can uh, look to see that even the the story of Job is like a very good example of like uh, one such scenario where like uh, Job, for all intents and purposes, is a uh, completely innocent man who uh, befalls you know tragedy after tragedy. Um, for seemingly no reason, is completely undeserving of it. Um, we might say that's that's evil, but we might say that that's God's will, so it uh, it must be good. And then we might look at uh, places like like Sodom and Gomorrah, which were which were smited and which were destroyed in uh, not the exact same fashion as Job, but obviously were were destroyed. Um, and it was seemingly the the justification with this that they were that they were sinners and they had done something wrong, and that they had strayed away with their free will from uh, God's intended purpose. Um, so I, I guess, I guess in that action, I'd like to point out that there's just um, what the term of like innocent victims and uh, how evil factors into this. Um, but I guess that's I just wanted to put out that kind of a uh, definition of evil, at least from an atheist perspective. Okay, thank you very much. And we're gonna go over to King now and Mordecai. I since he brought up the Book of Job, if you wanna enlighten us or throw in your commentary more in that, that'll be appreciated. Then we can go to Hazy. So go ahead, King. Well, in regards to what I meant when I'm talking about evil, because we were thinking about that for a moment, I'm not a Platonist. So even though I do read a lot of Plato, as everyone here likely knows, um, I am not a Platonist in regards to the idea of there being grades of being. And in fact, like a classical Asherite, I am in fact an atomist. And so I do not believe in grades of being. And so I can't hold to this idea that there's less being when there's an evil thing quote quote that occurs i can't hold to that view and i would have to hold that's untenable 
But what I mean when I say evil is that it's prohibited by the divine command. I'm a divine command theorist, and I would like to clarify what I mean in regards to my own divine command theory. Imam Sanusi, he says in his book that is now translated actually into English by Sheikh Musa Ferber, that just as it is impossible that God will act for a purpose, it is likewise impossible that his ruling and act as being an obligation or prohibition or some other legal ruling is for some specific purpose. And the reason is because all actions in reality in respect to God are equal in that they are all his creation. So they are all composed of atoms. They're all composed of this fundamental particle or substance. There's no real fundamental difference um, when you just compare them, that you would just say, oh, this thing intrinsically is evil, or this thing is intrinsically good in particular. And this is in contrast to someone who is, let's say, a Platonist who would say, well, this thing is intrinsically good, or this thing is intrinsically evil. So that's where I'm coming from when I'm talking about that issue in particular. And that's why I said earlier that I am what you would call a theistic subjectivist. And I don't think that that's a good definition, I mean, good term to use, because I do think that morality is something that's technically out there <laughs> in the world, in the sense that God actually did make these commands, prohibitions and things, and so, so on and so forth. But I don't think that these are commands or prohibitions are due to the intrinsic natures of things in particular. So God could have, at least logically could have, commanded um, any of these particular things. Let's say, instead of stealing is wrong, stealing is a-okay. Go ahead, take that pencil. Um, <laughs> go ahead, um, let me see, I don't know. Be gay? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, or whatever else. So, that's the position that the Asherite school took, at least historically. But I would note also that just because something's logically possible does not mean that it's actual or metaphysically necessary. So that we also make that distinction there. Okay. John, were you raising your hand or? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I would say that um, uh, based off of uh, what King was just saying, uh, at least going back to our original, the original framing I was proposing, right? That um, there's a logical problem here. Does the, do these propositions actually constitute a contradiction? Um, and, and at least, and I would say, although I don't agree with King's position, I, I would say that his position is internally consistent and does successfully avoid the problem of evil, right? Uh, uh, the, the question then regarding King's position, right, that, that the listener should ask, right, is, well, do I agree with that particular solution, right? But I would definitely not accuse his position of any inconsistency or, or, or trying to get out of the problem of evil, um, uh, with the, uh, but but not actually, but while still trying to maintain something that 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 actually uh, commit commits one to the conclusion of the absurdity following. So, um, so so uh, so at least in that respect, right? Uh, I think it is important to distinguish between um, uh, solutions that uh, that uh, deny a particular interpretation of the premises, right? So if you go with divine command theory, right, you're saying, look. Good and evil don't mean what people typically take them to mean. Thus, there is no inconsistency with existing if evil is just what God 
prohibits and, and good is just what God commands, right? And that God has no obligation, it would seem, then to make more more things that uh, we think are good because we need to judge good or bad based off of God's position, right? Um, so, so we want to distinguish then between whether someone's position is internally logically consistent uh, against whether or not we would accept um, uh, the metaphysical and more basic philosophical claims about the nature of goodness, the nature of being, and whatnot. So, so King mentioned that uh, that he that he's an atomist on this. That he's obviously maintaining a university of being, um, uh, and so that would be a more fundamental right disagreement that he and I would have. But I would not accuse him of uh, of uh, not avoiding the problem of evil in this way. All right. Thank you very much. And we're going to go over to Mordecai next. Because I remember Walter earlier said something in regards to Job towards him. Walter, would you be kind enough to summarize or repeat what you were mentioning to Job for Mordecai? Um, uh, yeah, I guess I was just uh, alluding towards um, this idea of uh, at least my kind of like uh, atheist perception of evil, which isn't really connected to um, any kind of like divine text. Mostly it relies on like this idea of like... Um, a harmful, malicious kind of act perpetrated against an innocent party for no discernible, like morally justifiable reason. Like that would be like an evil act, not just something that is very bad. Um, and it reminded me a lot of the the Book of Job, where uh, where or well, Job, who was uh, essentially um, smitten for uh, for no real discernible reason, he had not sinned, and then contrasted that with like Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, two cities who had sinned and who were smited. Um, where it seemed like, I guess there was like some delineation of like free will there. And then also, um, just like kind of my own definition of evil. And if you had any kind of perspective on if, if that was an evil action to like strike Job, or if there was a morally justifiable reason given to do it or what, what your sense of that is. Yeah, no problem. So, um, at the end of this story, um, God actually visits Job and God asks Job a question. And that question is, would you like to control the, you know, the heavens and the earth for a day? And I think that question, basically, what that summarizes is essentially um, creation and, you know, the assumption of, like, what is good and evil and, you know, justice is, you know, far more complicated and complex than, than what, like, Job or, you know, man can, can understand. And so I think that that's a key point um, in the book of Job. Sorry, I accidentally muted. Um, regarding, I don't know, does that answer kind of your question, Walter? Uh, uh yeah, but I, I was just maybe a little more of what you, which I guess you meant by that. Yeah, yeah. So, so essentially, the the the, what the Jewish perspective. Um, I know there's a different perspective with with um, Christianity, but um, essentially, that evil was done by God. Um, and that evil was was done by God, and it wasn't, you know. It wasn't because of of Job's sins. Um, it was essentially to, to prove a point to Job that you know there are things that are outside of our control that um, can cause evil in the world. Um, and so I think that I'm sorry. Let me just jump real quick to the. I think we're supposed to be going over our, our definitions of of good and evil. Um, so according to 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 the Jews, um, good essentially is is following the law that was given to the Jews, and evil is is disobeying this law, right? But that only really categorizes sort of 
the humanistic form of good and evil. You know, what do humans do that's good and evil? But it doesn't really um, doesn't really explain. You know, the natural evil that goes on in the world, say the flood or um, a fire or things of this nature. Um, and so these these types of evils, Judaism, what it does is kind of it, it it essentially says these things will happen these things are out of our control and so these things are not really worth um i guess mulling over because they will happen regardless of if you're good or evil right and that's why i brought up job um and then sorry i'm kind of jumping around here I'm <laughs> But um, essentially, I just want to tie this quickly back into to the concept of free will, um, right? So someone mentioned earlier, if if there is good, there must be evil, right? There's contrast. If there was no evil, right, things couldn't really be good, I guess. That's not necessarily the position that I hold, but um, the position that I hold is that if there is evil, well, evil must present an attractive choice, right? This is from... Um, this is from Rabbi Aaron, David Aaron, and what he says is, if there is, if there is this choice, there must be an attractive choice. Both choices must be attractive, right? The attractive choice of evil is, let's say, for example, robbing a bank, right? It's an attractive choice because of the monetary benefits you gain from that. Um, and then this, what this does is actually creates a new form of goodness in which you understand you have the choice of doing something evil. However, you choose to do something good. So, yeah, that's, that kind of summarizes my points. Um, Walter or anybody, if you have any questions. No, I wanted to talk about my position real quick, uh, a little bit more in detail, if that's all right. Go ahead. So, um a few things that I didn't go over in the first uh, few minutes was that there's no inherent contradiction between uh, an omnibenevolent God uh, allowing evil or an evil existing. I don't see that as being contradictory because it kind of depends on what his priorities are. So if he's, if this God, if his top priority is to eliminate all evil well then yes uh it's a problem but what if he has a priority that is above his distaste for evil what if uh his priority is having a relationship with creatures that is meaningful right and that's exactly what we find in the christian worldview uh the christian worldview says that god created us in order to have a meaningful relationship with us and we went against that so um I just want to uh, say that I don't see any contradiction. I see it being a difficulty. So another example of uh, difficulty that we talk about a lot as theists is this idea that God is all-knowing, and at the same time, human beings have free will. And people will say, well, how can God know everything and humans have free will? Well, that's not actually a contradiction. It's just a difficult thing to understand how that can be the case. But there's nothing inherently contradictory with an all-knowing being giving human beings free will. That's not a contradiction. That's totally possible. And if it's possible and God can do anything that's possible, well, then he can give humans free will. Is it easy for us to understand how? Well, no, it's not easy for us. And it's also not easy for 
for us to necessarily understand the reasons why God allows all these terrible things to happen. But we are in, insanely limited as human beings. Our range of knowledge is, you know, essentially nothing compared to what God knows and what God is ultimately doing and what God sees. And to me, this idea that um, the problem of evil is a problem for uh, theists is really just incredibly speculative about um, what God ought to be doing. And how would we know what God should and should not be doing ultimately, what his plans are, what his priorities are? You know, if God is ultimately omnibenevolent, you know, totally good, well, then his priorities are going to be totally good. And if he allows within those priorities evil to exist, then we should say, well, then that's the best thing. That is the greatest good that God is doing, right? Uh, so the, the question to me really is uh, uh, kind of absurd. And once again, you know, if you don't believe in a perfectly good being, well, then what even is evil? What is it? You know, uh, John was talking about the ontological grounding and he's, to me, absolutely right. How do we ground uh, objective evil? You know, like the real existence of something that is actually wrong. Uh, you know, because Walter, he mentioned uh, the innocent victim suffering, that, that 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 is evil. And let me know if I got you wrong there, Walter. But to me, I'm like, well, if there's no good God, well, then why is it actually wrong if innocent people suffer? I mean, aren't you just being arbitrary? Why isn't it good that innocent people are suffering? Uh, you know, I mean, if you can say that that's bad, I can just say that it's good. What are we grounding these things like goodness and badness in? You know, C.S. Lewis, he talked about this. He said, uh, how do we know if, uh, if a line is crooked? You know, in order to say a line is crooked, you have to have some idea of a straight line. And where are we getting the straight line when it comes to this problem? Uh, to me, it's the only way you can really account for that straight line, that goodness, is with a personal loving being. I don't see how else you can, you can do it. So those are uh, some of my thoughts. Thank you, um, Daniel. And we're going to go over to Hazy, and then after, we're going to have Walter a chance to respond. Uh, yeah. Um, I heard something um, earlier about um, how we are defining good and evil, and which is why I went for the probably a very simplistic like articulation of just the bad that ought not to happen. And that is probably the best way I can apply it. Um, one of the things I felt like was um, arising continuously throughout the conversation is that this is merely a facet of our evaluations that are purely inaccessible, that they are um, denoted and are delineated by our mission being in and themselves. And while I believe that people who are um, very religious have religiosity and have um, you know, who are theists who can have a humility and that perspective, the problem often arises from someone with that implicit buy-in not existing. Like, absent of that implicit buy-in of the belief of God, um, being someone who is uh, religious, that is a not, it's not a very satisfactory answer. Um, for most people, they will look at this and say, I get what you're saying, as in um, the um, the articulation and defining of morality by um, what you might consider to be fallible human beings um, is inconsequential to the one who is the perfect omniscient being. At the same time, for um, 
these people, we would often ask ourselves why, what, what would be the purpose of guiding myself through this delineation of actions, whether that be good or bad, if, I, if it's inaccessible to me or inaccessible to anyone who's ever known the Bible, who will be judged equally from those who do know the Bible, who don't know the Bible. So the question of um, the problem of evil is trying to get at the core of how important it is that a, a being like a human can um, know what is good or evil. Um, um, Cain and Abel, the notion of, uh, I don't know what my brother is. Um, am I my brother's keeper? This was an acknowledgement. Uh, the diversion of this question was an acknowledgement that he had did wrong, that human beings can identify evil, and that, or, for example, the apple providing knowledge, even throughout that confine, to some degree, is saying, hey, these people do have some level of, of knowledge to discern what is good and evil. So I think making it, at the very least, an, an accessible element to human beings is a pretty inaccessible unsatisfactory answer for those who don't already buy into the notion of omniscient being to begin with. So that's just my um, reservation about all that. And um, uh, I'll let Walter speak on the subject matter. Right, go ahead, Walter. Um, yeah, I guess I just, uh, I had a, I guess a, a small question, I guess somewhat for um, Daniel. Um, I guess I just wanted to know um at least when I think of omnibenevolent, one of the things I think a lot of is like a, a selflessness or um, viewing someone else as like an end in it of themselves and not really of a means um, and kind of like uh, valuing someone like for like uh, autonomy. Um, but it, it sounds like and like a lot of what you're talking about is like God has created us to have a meaningful relationship with us. Um, that doesn't that sounds like he is uh, there. There is an availability to where he could have given us probably better, more ideal lives, but to create a more satisfactory relationship with, with himself. He has a uh, push towards something else, which um, I, I, I think when I, when I return to the, the basic logical problem of evil, uh, I, I keep thinking back to like, which premise would uh, like you guys, each of you kind of take issue with, which one are you um, taking issue with? Like uh, John seems to be taking issue with the idea that we can um, categorically like describe God as um, even an entity to put within this kind of um, all of these premises. Um, and, and it seems to be just that, that you seem to believe that um, an omnibenevolent being would not want to prevent all evils. Um, that's the premise that you seem to be taking issue with. And I, I'm just guessing if you could um, just go off of that, if, of what you think of like a, an omnibenevolent entity that is creating us uh, for itself and not for us. Right. Well, ultimately, everything that God does is uh, going to be about himself because he's literally the most important being. He is the he is an infinitely valuable being. Um, so, I mean, the Bible says that we're supposed to want to glorify God, not ourselves. Um, so, you know, a lot this tends to rub atheists and unbelievers uh, in the wrong way a lot of the time because ultimately they want to be God and they have a really hard time with this concept that, you know, they, they think that if God wants to be number one and he wants to be worshiped, well then uh, that means that he's like some kind of egomaniac. I don't see it that way. Uh, the way that I see it is what else is he supposed to 
worship? What else are we supposed to worship? He's literally uh, the foundation and the creator of everything. He's a perfect being, right? So who else is supposed to be glorified? Any glorying that is done ultimately goes to him because everything belongs to him. So, uh, and, and a lot of atheists and, and agnostics and things of that nature or people of that nature uh, tend to think that, um, you know, why does he want us to worship him? Well, he, he wants us to worship him because it's good for us. It's good for us to worship the greatest being that exists. It's bad for us when we deny that he exists. It's bad for us uh, when, when we don't worship him. You know, when you think about like the greatest golfer in the world, like Tiger Woods, we have a natural inclination to celebrate and worship greatness when we see it. And what is greater than God? So it's good for us uh, to, to do it. That's why he wants us to do it, because ultimately it's good. Now, I don't feel like I've really touched on the question that you asked, though. Is that right? Well, so why don't you uh, remind me a little bit of what, what the exact question you want me to address? Uh, I guess I was getting at um, that essentially you were saying that we were given free will and the choice to do evils or create um, uh, choose not God. Uh, mm -hmm. so that we could form a meaningful relationship with God, uh, that God wanted a meaningful relationship with another being, so he created us for that express reason, and that he has created a world in which bad things happen for us, uh, specifically so that he can have this kind of um, really meaningful relationship. And I was saying that that kind of takes issue, at least with with my idea of omnibenevolence and maybe um, irritate, maybe one of the premises of the um, problem of evil, um, just that like it seems like omnibenevolence entails like selflessness like when i think of um like jesus christ i think of the self-sacrifice the selflessness of the um of the crucifixion and so uh, i think of him creating us as a means to something for himself uh for him to have a meaningful relationship um almost seems like not like something a omnibenevolent being would do he's he's using us as a means instead of viewing us as an end in and of itself Okay, so I think I understand what you're saying. Um, I don't know that I would really agree that he's using us as a means necessarily. I mean, if you marry a woman that you love and you want to have a relationship with her, so you marry her, would you say that you are using her as a means? If I'm if I marry a woman, am I using her as a means? Right, um, like I you want to have a relationship with her. That's why you marry her, right? You want to do things with her. You want to talk to her. Would you say that that's using her as a means or an end? Um, I'd say that's using her as an end. But then would you say that if I like constructed, like, I guess a specific kind of like environment that gives like my wife, like less than good outcomes specifically because like, I really enjoy the relationship that I have with her and the relationship wouldn't be as good without me constructing these environmental factors for her um, or just kind of like that. Um, I'm not trying to depress you or anything. I just want to kind of sure. get your kind of understanding of what, what your kind of ideas are. What kind of are you saying, like, would it be good if you created a situation where your wife was limited in what she could do? Uh, what would be the point of that? I'm, I'm not quite sure I follow you there. So uh, I guess. I'm I'm wondering uh, if you are kind of um, so I would say marrying someone where you guys are kind of like on equal-ish footing uh, relatively um, that you guys decide to get married you guys are viewing each other as ends but then I guess we would also say that if I um, 
knew that like the relationship would be the best for me if like um, there was some amount of limiting that I was doing or that I specifically chose us going down a specific road. Like I, I had the power to choose between two different outcomes. One of them would be really good for her but wouldn't be a meaningful relationship for the both of us. The other one would be a really great meaningful relationship um, but not as great for her. Um, and so what I, I guess I'm getting at was your question of, um, or well, your statement, that uh, the meaningful relationships that we find with God, even though we can choose bad options, uh, makes the relationship more meaningful. It makes it um, better. It's what God wanted when he created us. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm seeing it as the way that, that God is not viewing us as an end when he created us. He viewed us as a means and that he set us down a path where he could have set us down an even better path. Uh, one where we, we don't have this, this free will or the incentives exist that uh, our free will pushes us towards better options. Um, but in, instead, uh, it seems like he's, he's using us in a way to get the, the very meaningful relationship that you seem to be describing. Okay, well, I, I, I want to ask another question real quick. If, when well, you okay, say, yeah, last question, and then we're going to keep the conversation moving. Yeah, sure. When you say he uh, pushes, he could have pushed us down a better path. I mean, doesn't that assume that God made a mistake and, and that God doesn't know what his priorities should be? I mean, what I'm saying is, if you grant that God actually is omnibenevolent and all-knowing and a perfect being, well, then what he did was the best thing that he could have done, right? I mean, isn't that fair to say? I mean, if, if we grant that he is omnibenevolent, omniscient, and uh, omnipotent, then, uh, then, then yes, it would be granted that, that everything that is ever happened has been good yeah and that in the past that was the best outcome possible right so so to me when you ask this type of question you're kind of it feels like you're putting your your foot in my worldview but you also have a foot in your worldview and you're kind of assuming that god is both uh you know you're kind of saying well he could have done something better but he also uh didn't do something optimally and i'm like yeah but if you're gonna be in my worldview where I believe in a perfect God, well, then everything that he's doing is going to be uh, optimal, right? Uh, so so the idea that he could have done it better really is something that you would come at uh, me with from, from within your worldview, not from within my worldview, because within my worldview, who am I to say that uh, God could have done something better? That's an outrageous thing to say. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Um, I, I guess I kind of uh, get what you're saying uh, to, a, to a certain degree, but I guess even within your own worldview, uh, we may say that the action was impossible, but if God was able of getting it done, that would have been really good. Like, uh, we may say that uh, every person who was not saved, like, we might say that that's bad, but they were not saved because it was not possible for God to save them. He was only able to do what was possible, but we may still say that uh, him, let's say, uh, in, in a way, we might say that taking away free will from humans so that we all love and find purpose in God and uh, are saved, uh, that that might be in a way better than uh, all of us getting to choose and then some of us finding salvation and forming very meaningful relationships with God, whereas um, others of us are, are, are not saved. Uh, we might even, even if I am within your worldview fully, I might still look at others and say it was impossible for God to save them. But if he could have, that would have been really, really good. Okay. Well, um, yeah, go ahead. Gonna, I want to go into more on this because I've got a feeling we go back and forth on this for a minute. But could we talk more about the distinction between natural evil and moral evil? Because that's something I would like to know more of because I hear different people bring this up. 
And for the audience's sake and for each other, I'd like more clarity on that distinction, if we could. So would Can anyone I... be willing? John, you want to chime in on that? Okay. Hey, John, your mic isn't working right now. All right. So so let me just lay out the basic difference here. Um, uh, and then, uh, uh, if I may, uh, offer a few kind of notes on how at least I would interpret it. So we want to distinguish between natural evil versus moral evil. So natural evil would be um, sufferings, pains, harms that occur to a person, uh, but that, uh, that are inflicted upon you. If you stub your toe, uh, we would say that's something bad, right? I'm going to take bad and evil to kind of be a little, uh, kind of be synonymous in this context. Um, although we use the word evil, evil has a very sinister, you know, uh, sense to it, right? And and we generally associate it with morality. Um, we can still say, you know, it's bad, or or, or we might say it's it's an e it's something evil for, uh, you know, a gazelle to be eaten by a lion, for example, right? Um, uh, that we can we can say that diseases, right, uh, that you might be afflicted by, um, uh, I would be would be a case of natural evil, things which are. Uh, uh, things that are bad, things that are um, uh, undesirable, uh, that occur, um, but are not the result of a moral action, a voluntary action by a moral agent. Whereas moral evil would be the kind of examples that we uh, mentioned before, right? Uh, that I think Hazy was mentioning, and uh, Walter also mentioned as well, right? Uh, specifically, human actions uh, which are voluntarily chosen that we would judge to be things that we ought not to do. Right. Um, so acts of murdering, acts of stealing, uh, et cetera. Right. You know, we can go through the list of horribles. Right. Um, so that would be the basic distinction there. Right. So so one would be uh, a world without human beings um, in which there was pain, in which there was harm would be a world with moral evil, with, without moral evil. But it would have what we would call natural evil. On the other hand, um, uh the world with moral evil exists because we have human beings who are moral, who have obligations, right, and who do not act according to those obligations and perform actions that they ought not to. And I'm just going to kind of keep it, keep it vague in terms of just you know the description because I, I'm guessing that we have you know several different theories of uh, of what the basis for moral judgments is in this on this show. So that'd be the basic difference, right? Now, um, just to kind of give a, a kind of my perspective on how I'd, I would how I would approach this, um, I would just begin by by noting that uh, what I said earlier about evil being a privation or a non-being. That uh, that if we say that we would say badness, right, or evil, it's not a thing. Just like redness is not a thing, unless you're a Platonist, right? Uh, there, there are red things and there are bad things. But there's no such there's no entity called redness, which is just red and is not a red ball or a red car, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. In the same way, I would say there's no such thing as badness. That's just bad. Rather, there are bad people. There are bad cars. There are right uh, uh, bad diseases, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, so so in that way, uh, in that way. We, we would we can note that there's a difference between um, redness and badness, right? All red things seem to have some some at least uh, uh, sensory quality in common, some sensory property in common. They all look the same. We call them red because they meet some basic common criteria, which is why we can have a a, uh, a, a kind of a univocal concept of of red. Whereas bad 
isn't the same, right? We call we say different things are bad for different reasons. So if I've got a bad washing machine, it's bad because it doesn't clean my clothes properly, right? If I have a bad car, it's because it doesn't get me from place to place properly, right? The badness of my crummy car doesn't consist in not washing clothes properly. And if we have a bad person, right, um, they might be perfectly good at washing clothes, right? Perfectly good at driving you somewhere. We say that their badness consists in a moral defect. So, so, uh, so in this way, th there's no single quality that we would call bad that is the same in every case. It's rather an analogous concept. Nevertheless, uh, if we we can note another contrast between things like bad and things like red. Um, red is, seems to be a positive property. There's actually something present, right? Uh, in a red ball, in a red car. Whereas if I say that a washing machine's bad, I mean that it's deficient in some way, right? If I say that uh, I, I have a bad shoe, there's something lacking or something defective about the shoe. And so when I say something, when I say that something's evil or that there's badness in something, uh, I, would, I would mean that there's a lack of what we expect a thing to be. A thing is not what it ought to be, it's not behaving in the way that we would expect it to be according to its nature or according to its design. Uh, so we would say that uh, bad things are real, right? And that, the and that the lacks or defects are real, but they're not a positive aspect of them. Uh, they're not a positive property, rather the lack of a, of a due property that ought to be there. And this would lead us to see that bad or evil can only exist if there are things that are in some way good but just not good enough. You can't have something that is deficient unless it exists in some way. You can't have a washing machine that washes my clothes badly unless there's a washing machine that kind of washes them. Yeah? A washing machine that doesn't wash clothes at all would not be a genuine washing machine, I would maintain. And same thing with, with other, other cases. So existence of evil would therefore be parasitic upon or dependent upon goodness. There's an asymmetrical relationship here. You could have something that does that is that exists and functions exactly like we expect it to, or exactly like it ought to, and we would just colloquially call that in ordinary language good, right? And thus there would no if there was only one object in the universe and it and it functioned perfectly well, there would just be goodness, no badness, right? But to have bad, there has to be an object that exists in some way but isn't up to standards. So there can't be bad unless there is something which is good, or which is the opposite of bad in some degree. And so, so then to tie this into the natural and the moral evil, I would say that natural evil is a privation or a lack, right, in, in the existence of a natural thing in terms of what it ought to be, the way it ought to function, uh, its, normal, its normal healthy state of existence. Uh, it's full. It's full or perfect uh, realization. Whereas uh, a moral evil uh, would be a a failure within a human agent that they are not acting as they ought to, that they are not uh, treating others as they ought, that they are not loving people as they ought, that they do not have in the intentions that they ought, that they are not fulfilling the obligations that they should. The moral badness I would maintain exists in the agent who is bad or evil, whereas natural evil exists is, is an evil which is suffered, uh, which, which is imposed on you extrinsically, that is caused in you by some extrinsic process acting on you. 
and uh, and I, I could go on, but 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 I I know that Walter wanted to uh, 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 say something, either ask a question or respond. So I, I'm I'll, gonna. Yeah, Walter, brief response, real quick, because I'm getting a message by King. He wants to chime in as well on what John said. So go ahead, Walter. Oh no, yeah, I'll, I'll just keep it quick. I just uh, I had a few questions, but I just I'll I'll stick to like a quick one. Is um, I guess what do you think about the the whole idea of like um people who are mentally unwell or have all kinds of mental illnesses and them going out and um, like you may see multiple serial killers have some form of mental illness. Uh, would you, in, in this worldview, view that as like kind of a natural evil or a moral evil? Uh, since maybe some people might view it as they don't have the uh, the ability to choose and that has been uh, robbed from them. So now it's a, a natural evil. And, and then there are also theories that, that anyone who does something that is of a sufficient uh, badness is um kind of... Uh, kind of in a deterministic way, they're always going to do that. So almost like all evil is a, a natural evil. I'm just wondering what your thoughts on that would. Yeah, no, 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 no. Good, good, good questions. Thank you. Um, so I think obviously that there's a, a a variation of degree, right, when it comes to culpability and moral responsibility for for individuals, right? Uh, you know, you can plead. We we have in our, you know, we we recognize the distinction that you're bringing up, right, in our legal system, right? We have, you know. You know, plea, the insanity defense and whatnot, right? The claim that uh, I did something, but I was not uh, actually capable physically, right, um, of uh, of thinking properly. Um, therefore, we would we would all agree that the person did something that wasn't good, right? That was bad, right? That was harmful, and we would agree that there's something wrong with that person, right? But we wouldn't necessarily say that there's something morally wrong with that person if they are incapable of actually uh, comprehending. Right, right from wrong, distinguishing right from wrong, and uh, and acted and chose voluntarily to do what was wrong, uh, despite this knowledge or capability. So I, I would definitely agree that uh, in the case of a sufficient uh, um, uh, mental impediment, insanity, whatever it might be, right, that we might not have a moral evil in the person, but that would be a case of natural evil, a unfortunate thing, right, not something that we should just wave away. Um, and say, oh, well, that doesn't matter, la-di-da, right? But that, that wouldn't fall under the category of moral evil if someone is legitimately not able to rationally choose um, or comprehend right from wrong. Um, uh, I, I would not jump to uh, the conclusion that necessarily, um, uh, just because I'm not sure what the examples would be, uh, but, but uh, there are certain things that... Uh, that are so evil that you could only do them if you were completely insane. Maybe there are such things, right? But um, uh, I'm not committed to a particular uh, position um, on that. I think that there's a uh, it's more of a, a difference of degree, um, and the, the boundaries have to be set on a case by case basis. I don't think, as in most moral matters, right, that we can that we can set down certain general rules, right, that apply universally, right? You know, don't intentionally kill innocent people. Yeah, I think that's a good general, you know, hard and fast moral rule. Yeah, whether this particular killing of a person who was innocent, right, was intentional or not, right? Well, that's why we have jury trials, right? And, and that it's very hard for us to determine uh, the particulars. And and so um, and so I maintain that there is a distinction to be made, right? And that and that it's going to be one or the other, right? Or that there might be some degree of uh, of uh, diminished responsibility in certain cases. But um, I'm not going to claim that I can I can give a snap judgment right of any particular person's uh, mental state and thus their moral their moral culpability um, uh, from from an outside judgment. 
right? Uh, which is why I think it's good that we have you know jury trials and whatnot, such that we don't have one person trying to decide, right? That we that we uh, do the best that we can, insofar as that is something that needs to be decided in certain cases when you have people who have committed heinous actions, but it's not clear whether or not it was deliberate. Well, sounds good. Thank you for that, John. And Walter, thank you for the good question as well. So, Hazy, on to you and your having a question earlier. What would it like to be? Yeah, um, so the question um, was about natural, natural evil and moral evil. Um, the reason why we wouldn't typically even describe a supernatural event like hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes, what have you, under this confine, but we do so under the understanding that there is a moral agent, and that moral agent in this situation, when we're discussing the problem of evil, is God. And so, typically, we're asking ourselves, how does he wrestle with something that I think most of us, if we were in a place of omniscience, we would clap, we would, we would, um, we would categorize this action that's happening unbeknownst to most people that would seem like an excessive level of harm unnecessarily to them as being a wrong, as being an evil. And if we had the ability to stop it from occurring, we would do so. So I think that's why most people who are um, opposed to this, who don't believe in God through this contradiction of the omniscience and the natural um, disasters that do occur and the way they, are, they describe it as being evil from that lens of the ability to stop something from occurring, but it does occurring. I think that's why many people may describe it as such. I think that's why um that's why I was asking about like when you when you brought up the idea of like natural evil like the idea that natural disasters aren't evil or something like that. That's why I, I usually think of it as through that lens. And I wanted to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, so so let me I just want to make sure that, that, that I that I'm understanding you rightly. Um so let me just kind of, you know, uh just uh kind of you know re rephrase what you were saying and you can kind of tell me if I'm getting you right. So there's obviously a distinction between right stubbing your toe right or a hurricane right ruining your house that's something here in southern louisiana that i have to be afraid of um and you know somebody you know keying my car or taking or stealing my car obviously right and so since there's such a big difference right you're thinking that the only reason why it seems that we might describe the the uh the natural uh disasters right or the or the natural harms as e as evil is insofar as they're could be someone who could prevent it, right? Um, uh, and so, if if there was no God, it was all powerful who could prevent such things from occurring, right? We we would just say, well, that's just stuff that happens. Uh, would, there's no point. Describe in... it as a tragedy or like a, yeah, a horrible yeah. event, but we wouldn't moralize it. The only reason why we're moralizing it in mm -hmm. the question of the problem of evil is that we are we are we are we are presuming. Or we are arguing that God is a moral agent who has like an ability to operate. We, we, it, similar to what you were describing about the harm that other human beings do to other human beings is acknowledgement of their agency to do not to do bad to others. So there is a understanding of that moral problem there. Yeah. So so let me just kind of un unpack kind of the the uh, the moral natural distinction for a moment, and then kind of show then kind of talk about how I see it as applying to God. Um, uh, and as being analogous or disanalogous to uh, humans. So, um, so first, the distinction here would be something along these lines, that I, I think that moral and natural evil are on a continuum, that moral evil is a subtype 
of just badness or of or of privation or of harm or of things not be not uh not existing as they ought to exist right uh, things either being destroyed or not functioning properly um so so in that context right um uh for example uh you know a lion eating gazelle right we wouldn't say that's a moral evil because we don't speak of lions as moral agents right uh, we don't say lock up that lion because he did something wrong um uh now in terms of uh just the existence of that and with regards to god um it seems to me that the nature of the natural evil right or natural badness is that you just simply can't have a world of the sort that we exist in without there being such natural evils without there being things being harmed and suffering suffering harm such that they are no longer what we expect them to be or they no longer function the way that they that is most beneficial to them right you can't have a world with lions unless unless those lions eat gazelles and thus a world with lions is going to be a world where gazelles get eaten and gazelles suffer this harm yes. right mm -hmm. so so to, so if there was a world right where lions did not eat gazelles well then those wouldn't properly be lions uh, at Would least in the way that comparable? we um just for clarification are you saying it is comparable to natural disasters in terms of like how organic they are to like how the world ought to operate yeah well, well no just it, well, just how it does i mean i mean you you know a lion that doesn't eat gazelles right isn't a being it, it, there's something wrong with that lion, right? If it doesn't want to eat gazelles, right? Because lions have to eat other animals, yeah? Um, uh, if you get infected with, with uh, you know, bacteria, bacteria, you get a bacterial infection, right? That bacteria is being a good bacteria. It's behaving the way bacteria ought to behave or the way that bacteria naturally behave. They have a certain, you know, certain powers and abilities, right? And so they're just doing their thing. Now, the I'll evil that you, you suffer... Example. I I'm sorry. Bring up to the, I can't just, um, add on to that. I think sure. um, to the bio, to the um, bacteria example, I think a more apropos um, like an analogy would be if someone knew that you were infected and could provide you some um, antidote or some sort of alleviation towards the ill you're going to suffer, but chose not to, um, it wouldn't cause them any sort of financial um resource management any sort of materials but they could have done this um would you describe that capability to do something that most people would describe as objectively good but not to do so like an evil would you say it as an evil or an apathy oh okay yeah no so so uh so, so let me just make one one further point and then address your question which i think is you know getting kind of at the heart of the issue yeah i, I mean i mean i definitely think that that is that, that that that's that's kind of at the core of the question here um, so I would pretty much say something along these lines in terms of the natural evil, that um, that uh, to that it is a specious charge to say that God is all good and God is all powerful, and therefore God is at fault for making a world in which lions hurt antelopes, antelopes suffer. If antelopes didn't suffer when they were eaten by lions, right? Or if antelopes weren't eaten by lions, then then really we're saying is. God should not have made the world. You know, God should not have made a world with antelopes or lions. Yeah, um, uh, and so, so, do, so it, it really is not accusing God of uh, of causing evil uh, in any direct sense. 
to have created beings uh, that um, that continue and sustain existence, right, uh, at the expense of other of other beings, right. Um, so, so just in terms of God uh, producing, right, suffering the antelope, um, to say God should not allow the antelope to suffer, to say God should not make antelope and lions. Um, uh, as far as the point, though, about uh, someone being able to prevent an illness, right, with regards to my children, right, I definitely have an obligation, right? If I, may, if I see my kid has an infection and I don't take my kid to the doctor and get a medicine, yeah, I'm doing something bad, right? That's definitely correct, right? Um, the, the, the question, though, there, I, I think, comes to a fundamental notion of obligation, right? Um, that, uh, that human beings, as social creatures, right, have obligations to each other. Um, and if we, do not, if we do not fulfill those obligations to each other as part of our nature, right, uh, that we are not good. But, but I would maintain that it is a category mistake to say that God has a similar obligation to individuals uh, to, provide, uh, to provide alleviation of all suffering. Uh, first, uh, that would seem to imply God ought to make it such that we never suffer, which, which would seem to imply he ought to make a world in which we exist, but in a world in which we exist is a world in which we're going to get sick, right? Well, God should make a world in which we can get sick, but he should never let us get sick, right? It seems, it seems to me that there's, there's something a little, um, uh, a little odd if we, if we kind of reflect on it. Uh, secondly, though, and as I mentioned at the outset, uh, I would maintain that God is not a moral agent. Um, uh, God is not bound by any moral laws. God's goodness is not a moral goodness. Uh, God's goodness does not consist in doing what he ought to do, that there is no ought for God. Uh, and thus, uh, the obligations I have to others in my community, in my family, or even to other people on, on, this, uh, on this show— um, are, are things that belong that I have in virtue of the kind of being that I am. Whereas God would be different in kind. God is a limit case. So there's not a difference of degree between God. He's not on the spectrum of, uh, his goodness is not on the spectrum of moral goodness. Uh, rather, he's a limit case. He is, he is outside that spectrum, right? And, uh, and is such that we define the spectrum in contradistinction to, to the divine. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Going um, into that, um, we're going to go back over to Mordecai and get his thoughts yeah. on some things whenever you're ready to speak, man. All right. Thank you so much. So just listening along, um, I heard some things that I agree with um, coming from coming from John, right? So when you think about, say, natural disasters, and I think Walter mentioned this earlier, but the example of, say, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So the sinners are slain along with, with the uh, righteous. Right, so when, when, when we look at something like this, um, is it God punishing those who are righteous? Um, I, I think it's from the perspective of, of myself and of some Jewish scholars, right? So um, some disagree, some agree, um, right? The, it, it isn't, it is, we aren't punishing those who, who, who are righteous. Um, some say um, those who are, who are afflicted um, it, it is used to build character, right? Well, if they're dead, how can it build character, <laughs> right? So, and then the response to that would be, well, in the next life, they will um, they will get their reward, 
um, for being righteous, right? So there are def- there are definitely different perspectives um, in the um, in in Jewish theology, right? So um, I just want to just want to clarify that. Um, but I think it's it's important um, for me to reiterate some of the um, differences between um, the the moral right and the natural. Um, so in the um, in the moral in the Jewish perspective, it's it's mostly based on sort of this notion of free will and how people can choose what they want to do with their life. Right in Judaism, it is 100% free will. All actors um, are able to make this distinction between good and evil, and they can choose whether or not they want to do. However, what God has created, He's created um, these two choices to be equal in terms of rewards right so like the like the example i mentioned earlier about robbing a bank right it's it's a you do you are rewarded right you are rewarded if you successfully say say do say rob a bank right and if you if you are in caught there is no punishment right and so the 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 choice of doing something evil has to be a choice that is attractive to actors or else there wouldn't be a a point in doing so um and so so god has created these these choices and and so the sort of i guess the crux is those who understand that um you can be rewarded for doing evil however they choose to do good um, and this is sort of the path of righteousness in, in Judaism. Mordecai, if I may ask to further elaborate on that, would this fall sort of in line with uh, soul-making the Odyssey in the sense that, hey, building an idea of moral growth, the soul-making, you know, the Odyssey suggests that the hardships and challenges presented by evil contributes to the development of virtuous and mature individuals. So for the bank example... You said it could be easy to rob the bank. It's like monetary in that sense, but you don't do it because that's you overcoming adversity or challenge because you are building your character throughout your life. Would yes, you one, make more sense? I would agree. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, you know, the Odyssey, I mean, um, Odysseus goes through trials and tribulations. He spends, you know, years at sea. He does all these things. Um, and then in the end, you know, he escapes, say, the... Um, the Lotus Island, or I'm not super familiar with the story, but he, you know, he's able to overcome these things. I'm not, you know, attributing that to, say, Judaism, but I think um, sort of how Judaic theology stems from sort of, you know, these, I guess, logical interpretations of, you know, how we view, you know, good and evil in the world. Okay, thank you. And... Um, we're going to go over to Daniel now, and then Walter, if you're free to like get some pushback to both of them, I'm more than welcome. All right, awesome. So I haven't really touched on the problem of uh, natural evil, but to me, what this really boils down to is suffering, okay? And I want to know, why is suffering actually bad? I mean, to me, it seems like, okay, we suffer when we get cancer and it's painful and we don't like it and we call it suffering or a hurricane hits our house and we don't have a house and we don't like that and we say we're suffering 
So it seems to me that every time we talk about suffering, what we really mean is something happens that I don't like. Because if I didn't like my house, right, and it got hit by a hurricane, and I was happy that it uh, collapsed, then I wouldn't be suffering, right? And if I had some kind of weird anomaly that made it so that I uh, felt good while I had cancer, you know, I didn't feel any pain, and maybe I had a death wish, well, then in that situation, I also wouldn't be suffering. So really what suffering, it seems to me, boils down to is just something is happening that I don't like. But why is it bad that things happen that we don't like? I mean, obviously, uh, when we parent, we tell our children to do things that they don't like. But we know that it's for their good, ultimately. I mean, my daughter might want to go play in the middle of the street. And I say, no, you're not going to play in the middle of the street. Why do I say that? Because I know better than she does. Now, she might look at that and say, well, you're causing me to suffer because you're not giving me what I want, right? Me no like. Um, but really, I'm doing that because I care about her. And she's just not on a level to understand why I've done that. There was this other yeah. time when she was, when um, she was just born. May I Sorry, ask one, yes, one, yeah, one question I wanted to ask. Um, there might be anomalies and i would say like in brain chemistry to some degree where people might look at a snap wrist as euphoric or the same as using in in mdt but um surely you would say like these are like the outliers to like how most people would look upon suffrage and it having a greater um goal in mind like something like cancer or like a parent's tutelage like wouldn't you agree that like even people who are opposed to position wouldn't think these are like even remotely analogous well obviously no because that i'm making that point right so i think that they are analogous uh because ultimately in the same way that i can quote unquote cause my daughter to suffer by making her eat vegetables which i know are ultimately for her good uh, even though she doesn't understand it because she's not an adult, right? She's, she doesn't have the mental capacity to understand why I'm doing that. Well, God is so far above us on such a just drastic different level that, of course, he could be causing things to happen that we don't like, but ultimately is for our good, right? And it, we might not be able to understand it. We might, you know, it might seem ab absurd to us, but it might seem absurd to my daughter that she has the vegetables every night. That doesn't mean it is actually absurd. That's just how it seems to us. And really what this boils down to is that we're not giving God the benefit of the doubt. We're saying, well, it um, seems like this isn't fair. It seems like there's something unjust. Uh, so you, it must be unjust or it, therefore it's likely. And, and that just doesn't follow as far as uh, I can tell. I get what you're saying there, but I think most people would look at that. Oh, um, Walter, sorry. I didn't mean to uh, stop you from if you want to chime in um i would just say that like most people would say that there is a guidance to eating broccoli or vegetables um because there is some theory of replicatability of knowing its nutritional value understanding that there's some other confines beyond just accepting or believing beyond um any quantifiable metric that vegetables are good for you for example if we were to say something to the effect of oh, well, eat your vegetables, and the child would respond with, do you know these vegetables are, like, nutritious? And the parent responds with, no. Like, do you know that these things can help me grow to be, like, healthy? It's like, well, no, but I still want you to eat them. And, like, but why? And the parent would respond with, it's beyond your comprehension. 
and I can't provide you an answer, I think for most people that would be insufficient as to providing a good in a situation as like as an idea of, oh, this will indefinitely be good comparatively in that analog how analogous that is to God. At least in my like what I perceive from like that's like that statement. So like sure, most people would agree that nutrition in that regard is good because we have some theory of replicability about its nutritional value and there's something substantive or tangible we can go to and look back and say, there is a good here um, versus an unquantifiable or intangible good that we must trust in indefinitely to be the case. So that's just my position on it. All right. Well, in my mind, you know, once again, we're dealing with if, if God does in fact exist, and of course I believe that he does, we're dealing with a being that, you know, dwarfs us as far as intellect. I mean, comparing an ant to a human and saying that that's analogous to humans compared to God is incredibly flattering to ants. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, if you're talking about an all knowing, maximally intelligent being, that's going to be infinitely beyond anything that we are, just so far beyond. Um, and so, this idea that even if he told us why we would just understand it um, is really not necessarily the case. And at some point to me, you know, the main thing that I want from my daughter is obedience because she's two. Okay. I can tell her like, well, it's nutritious and Mm -hmm. it's going to do this and it's going to do that. I can explain all that to her and it's going to go right over her head. She does not have the mental capacity to understand these things. And why can't God's reasons for our suffering be the same way where we just don't have the mental capacity? He sees so much further than we do that we just can't understand and we just need to trust him and trust in his goodness. The same way I need my, my daughter to trust in me and my goodness and to just believe that I have her best interests at heart and to do as I say, right? Don't go into the street. She doesn't need to understand why. I don't need to tell her why. She just needs to trust me and we need to trust God and that he is good. Um, okay, I get what you're saying. Um, uh, I think yeah. Walter wanted to say something, so I'm going to allow uh, Walter to take the right, and then John wanted to speak on this. Um, just to briefly get my thoughts out on it, I just think that um, most people would agree that like parenting, um, to some degree, has some proof of concept, well as the other, um, the latter requires um, a buy-in to a realm that we currently are residing in. And I think that's a higher buy-in and something that eventually shows its proof of concept by continuous nutritional values and things of that nature. But Walter, um, you want to speak on this? Um, yeah, I just had kind of two things um, fairly connected. Is this uh, this kind of this idea of like a natural evil? There's like um, uh, justifications for it. Um, things that we might not be able um, to uh, understand from God. But I, I guess. Uh, one of the big things that I think of, um, some of the, the articles that I read in preparation from this take place on um, when there was a, a massive earthquake in Australia that, that killed like um, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. And, it, and it's hard to think of like uh, what kind of like justification could be given for why God needed to do that, um, why such an action had to take place, why there were um, seemingly people who died for what was seemingly no reason. Uh, we can look at like Sodom and Gomorrah because we might say that like... Uh, God is not possible for God to stop some of these um, earthquakes, that these earthquakes come about because God created a world, and this is the best probable world, our possible world that could have been created. So these earthquakes have to happen, but it seems that he's able to control some of these, um, 
you know, extreme natural disaster type events to uh, bring them out as um, uh, afflictions on people who have sinned. So the idea is like, what did these people do to, to sin in such a way? Did they have no idea of knowing? Um, are we incapable of knowing as you say? Uh, but then I think about, well, if, if God wants us to have a choice, God wants us to make a choice between him and something else and to, to choose him. But, but to a certain degree, it seems like uh, if we're not smart enough, we are, we are an ant to a human as we are to us, to God. It seems like if he created us, he could have created us in a way to where we, we could have been able to understand what he wanted us to know. We could have been able to perfectly understand what he wanted us to do so that um, he wouldn't have to. Um, do things without us being able to understand them, that we would be able to understand that we had uh, committed some kind of flaw, that we had done something wrong. We we should be able to understand his his reasoning to some degree. If, if he created us and he wants us to make, uh, I guess, an educated choice, I guess, um, uh, between him and something else. So can I respond to that? Yeah, go ahead and respond to that. All right, so I'm probably not going to hit on everything that you just touched on, but... Uh... I mean, to me, all of that really boils down to the idea that God, once again, could have done something better um, or, you know, that, that God is uh, essentially not God. Right. Because if God is, in fact, God and he's good and all loving, then everything that's happening is ultimately the best thing that could be happening based on his ultimate uh, priorities, which are going to be the best priorities. So, you know, when we say, well, God uh, shouldn't have allowed this terrible earthquake to happen, which all these innocent people died or whatever. I mean, obviously, I don't believe that any person is really innocent, um, especially not adults. But leaving that aside, um, obviously, God would have morally sufficient reasons for allowing that. Um, and, and the question really to me is why is it wrong that people, you know, quote unquote, innocent people are dying in the first place? Like, why is that actually wrong? Because when we say, well, these, you know, like suffering is wrong, people needlessly dying is wrong. I want to ask, well, what wrong compared to what, where are you getting this idea that human beings ought to not suffer, that human beings ought not to suffer needlessly? Because to me, uh, I agree that we live in a broken world. I believe that, uh, you know, it, that when, when people are needlessly suffering and things of that nature uh, and, and all these atrocities and all these evils that we see around us, that this isn't the way that the world was meant to be. So I agree, but whose worldview can make sense of that? To me, the Christian worldview makes great sense of that because it says that the reason why we have this intuition that that these things are wrong, that there's something wrong with the world, is because there was a, a world that we used to live in uh, that was good, where these things didn't happen. And then that world was broken. And now all these things have entered into this world that were not meant to be here. And so when we say, well, it's wrong that people are, are dying needlessly, it's wrong that earthquakes kill people, it's wrong that children get cancer, I agree. But who can make sense of that? You know, when we say it's wrong, we're, we're saying that there, there was a way that it was meant to be. Do you see what I'm saying there? There was an optimal world. And that implies a good designer, a designer that would have made things in a better way. And then something happened so that things are not at that optimal design. Because if you're not going to argue from within the Christian worldview about these things, uh, really what you're saying is, well, I personally don't like when people die needlessly. But that's just an arbitrary opinion. So 
you know, I just want to know, like, what are you actually grounding that that criticism in? You know, what where are you getting this sense? How does it make sense in your worldview to say that these things ought not be happening? That is a very crucial question to All me. Right, we're going to go to um, Walter, then John, and then we're going to go back to King now because he's back. So um, go ahead, Walter. Yeah, yeah, I um, I, I, I get a lot of what you're you're saying there of uh, arguing within the the Christian framework, but I mean, um, I, I guess we can like ground out our entire like meta ethical positions and get into a big whole kind of thing about that or about like uh, where I get my base and fundamental ideas of morality from. But but you and I both seem to agree though that there are aspects of the world that are, are wrong, and uh, you keep asking me that like uh, I'm not arguing within the Christian framework because I'm saying that. Uh, to say that there could have been a better world, there could have been a more optimal way, is to say that God is not God. To not recognize that God is all all good, all powerful, and all knowing. But um, you yourself are even saying that this is a broken world, that we have erred, that we have done something wrong, that we need to do better. Yet this is the world that God created. This is kind of like in a uh, deterministic way. This is the the world that God has resulted us with. So you yourself, we we can both agree, without having to get too much into our our meta-ethical frameworks to say that there is an, an ideal thing that maybe we should be pushing towards that uh, that does exist, um, and that, that you yourself are even saying that uh, God has maybe maybe not made mistakes, um, I guess, or has allowed us to make mistakes, and these are all part of his plan, but that there is a preferable outcome where we all make the correct choices, and that people are making incorrect choices currently. Um, we can both agree with that while still existing within the Christian framework. All right, go ahead, um, John. You know, I'm glad I'm glad Walter brought up the meta ethical point because this is something that uh, that I I wanted to to get into uh, at some point in this discussion. Um, and and rather than getting into the particular theodicy, uh, or, or uh, about any particular theodicy about why God would allow right uh, natural disasters, sufferings, or moral evils to occur. Um, I, I want to kind of recenter this on back to the actual problem of evil, uh, as as Solo laid out at the beginning, right? So it said God is omnibenevolent, right? He's all good, right? He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He can do anything that's logically possible. Is that, that's how I would take omnipotence. I'm not a Cartesian on this, so I don't think God can make square circles. Um, uh, and then uh, and then God is uh, omniscient, right? So so it's not that he he can do all things. Uh, he he he's all good, uh, but he just is ignorant about about the earthquake occurring, right? So so uh, so it, it seems to me though that that only generates a contradiction with the actual existence of evil, which we all acknowledge. Uh, if we define omnibenevolence or just benevolence, goodness in general, um, as you are good only if you maximize goodness or utility or pleasure and minimize suffering or pain. That is, if we're taking a consequentialist standard for goodness, if we're treating divine goodness as a sort of moral goodness where you're good because you're a good person who does what you ought to do. And so the entire question, right, uh, or the entire basis of, of objections, which are entirely natural and uh, I think reasonable to make, um, I'm not trying to, uh, to dismiss the, uh, the force of, of such examples as Walter um, and Hazy brought up, um, but to suggest that God allowing disasters for whatever reason, right? And and I would agree um, with Daniel that there is some greater good that God brings out of it, but without appealing to whatever this greater good is, um, I would just simply assert 
that God's goodness is not based off of God being a moral person uh, in the same way as we are moral persons, and God's goodness is not based off of him doing what he ought by maximizing benefit or, or utility or goodness or pleasure or whatever and minimizing pain. So the entire objection that arises from natural disasters, from unnecessary or excessive suffering, right, from uh, you know, seemingly good people, um, uh, perishing, right, uh, needlessly due to natural causes uh, as a count against God's goodness is assuming basically a consequentialist uh, moral standard for goodness. So if God isn't a good consequentialist, then God can't be good. Um, now, as a Thomist, I'm not a consequentialist. Uh, so I would just deny that particular uh, interpretation, which Mackey, for example, gives of of omnibenevolence, um, I would instead uh, say that God's goodness consists in God's perfection, his metaphysical perfection, that God is not lacking in any way, and that insofar as all the perfections of other things um, uh, come from uh, and are found to be in him, that all things are good insofar as they in some way are perfect, perfected and imitate that which is completely perfect. Uh, and that's what God's goodness Consistent. It consists in a metaphysical notion of the good, uh, of which the moral is a subset that applies to beings that have moral obligations to others, but that God does not have moral obligations. And thus, uh, to critique God as, as not being good because of allowing evil um, is to therefore commit a category error, uh, to mistake a particular metaethical notion of Particular, uh, I don't like the term metaethics. I think metaethics is just you know the foundations of ethics. But whatever. Um, uh, that's that's a that's a completely unrelated tangential discussion. Um, is to is to uh, is to say God can't be good because he's not good in this way. When at least uh, for classical theists like myself, um, I would say that's not what we mean when we say God is all good, right? Uh, and that God allows. Uh, bad things to occur um, uh, does not therefore compromise uh, this metaphysical notion of his goodness. Uh, even if he does have reasons, right, and purposes for allowing them, ones which I would claim not to know, uh, I don't see, or, or I, I, I don't feel any need to invoke such 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 justifications uh, to excuse or exonerate or uh, or make make it make those allowances moral. Um, when when I, I don't think that those are the basis for for uh, divine benevolence. All right, thank you, John. Um, King, if you were still there, because I know you texted me, you just got back. Uh, do you want to comment on anything? Well, I would like to comment on what John just said. Um, when someone's talking about omnibenevolence, usually there are different conceptions of omnibenevolence that people have. For example, and I, I think I mentioned this earlier when giving my paradox of the three brothers or that short story, that there were conceptions of omnibenevolence that God must look out for the best interests of a particular person, that that's a moral obligation upon God, essentially, and that due to this moral obligation, God must act in a particular way. And as we see clearly that God does not act in this way, therefore, 
such a God does not exist. Now, the idea that John's proposing is that in God's infinite goodness, God, even though he will, his will is oriented towards the good, I'm, sh- I'm trying to make sure I'm not strawmanning or anything here. Um, the will of God, even though it's oriented towards the good and is directed towards the good itself, is not necessarily looking for particular goods for persons in all senses. So let's say the good of not being, I guess, starved to death and then eaten by a vulture as a baby in Africa, which I'm pretty sure happens quite often if we look at these images of these famines. The good of that particular baby, which was to get food, I would assume, I would hope, um, was not done in respect to that baby. And the reason why, it's totally a mystery, I would say. I get. I guess John would say, "Am I pinning you down wrongly, or am I?" I would say that, that that's roughly accurate. Um, so my 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 key my key point, which I, I think you're you're describing accurately, is God is not a moral agent subject to moral obligations to which humans are subject. God is not um, bound by uh, a moral law above him. Uh, which he is obliged to follow. Um, this does not entail an arbitrariness about uh, what is good or what is evil um, uh, in, in, in of the sort that I think your position kind of do, does does go to. Um, uh, that, that God could declare certain things that that he has declared according to uh, revelation uh, evil. He could he could have declared them good and then they would have been good, right? Um, uh, that that I would not uh, not go with, but I, I would rather say that it seems to me that the youth throw problem um, is uh, right. The the, par- the seeming paradox right is something good because God says it is, or God likes it, right? Or does God like things or command things because they are intrinsically good? Um, is uh, presents us with a false choice. Um, if God is perfect uh, in Himself, uh, He will command things that actually are perfections. Of the, he will command us to act in ways that uh, that are in line with uh, actually perfecting ourselves and not creating harm. Um, but that does not. But, uh, so, but that does not mean that his judgments are dependent on a standard above him that he has to live up to. Um, so, more what I'm saying is is that uh, God doesn't owe us anything. Um, God is not obliged to give anyone, um, anything, such that if he does not, uh, he's now being a bad god, right? He needs to go to timeout, or he needs to go to, you know, god jail, or something along those lines, uh, which I think is generally the, the main force of the uh, problem of evil as an argument for the incoherence of theism. It's presuming God is a person, an anthropomorphic kind of Cartesian ego, Right. You know, a a, a a human being without a body who just knows everything right and can do everything, but uh, functions in the same way that we do uh, and is subject to the same moral laws that we are for the same reasons. Um, so with, without getting too much into uh, particular, uh, particular things, I would say that God is just, right? But the God's justice does not consist in rendering to each individual 
that which he ought to render. Rather, uh, it consists in what we would call distributive justice of, uh, of, of fair treatment uh, for all individuals in the grand scheme of things. And what punishments and rewards might come in an afterlife, right, would, would be part of that, that balance of justice. Uh, and thus, I think this is kind of what, what Daniel was getting at earlier, right, that there is, there is at least from the Christian perspective, right, and as far as the problem of evil is a claim that, 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 that theism, right, is uh, that theism in particular, right, uh, Abrahamic religions are incoherent. Um, the notion of salvation is something of infinite value, right? So, so if God allows suffering, right, uh, even very extreme suffering, uh, but the person ends up uh, with with uh, eternal blessedness, right? It seems like it seems like there we have we have uh, we have a, we have the infinite completely negating, right, and balancing out the finite. If we want to go on a balancing test, and if someone dies, right, and they end up not being deserving of salvation, well, then it doesn't seem that it doesn't seem that that they got anything but their 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 just desserts on that framework. Now, I don't think that's the way. I don't think that's a necessary step that needs to be made. Just to point out that the existence of suffering, the existence of moral evil, uh, which God does not prevent, is a knock against divine goodness. But I would say that that's how that would fit in, uh, in as far as if we want to get into the the, the theodicy aspect. Um, I, I guess I had just uh, one slight point. I guess I can um, I can agree with a lot of what's what's been said here. If I was uh, a religious person, I, I used to have a lot of religious persuasions but um now not so much anymore but i guess the the whole thing of um the trying to balance it out and having uh an infinite to kind of balance really anything out um we i, I don't think we would accept that though if there was the the one individual who could be saved by god and given infinite salvation and then every other person was then you know um cursed to condemnation because a lot of what i thought about um when it came to certain natural disasters are there maybe um people who never had the uh, potential or possibility to come to know anything about God or know to give themselves over to God and try and be saved. And so it almost seems like um, if, if they die in a natural disaster or uh, lots of tragedy befalls them, but they have no chance to be saved and they are never saved, um, is that, uh, is, how, do, how do we reckon with that if they never had an option to be saved but still are beset by this suffering and this untimely demise by a natural disaster, and then also the infinite value of salvation, how uh, would that still stand to reason if there was only one person saved and uh, offered salvation, uh, even if it's infinitely valuable? I, I think that hypothetical um, would, would stand to reason on the general principles. I don't think that, that is something that would actually uh, be maintained as a plausible or likely situation for uh, for theists, um, or, or in particular religious theists, right? We need to distinguish between, right? You know, the the uh, the divine revelatory aspect involving notions of grace, salvation, and whatnot, from mere philosophical theism, right? Which which is uh, the argument I've been making, right? Which is just there's a notion of a being which is perfectly good, um, and that being that's perfectly good uh, is not a moral agent bound by uh, uh, bound by any human obligations. Um, but just to respond to to your particular scenario, uh, it seems to me that that at least the way I would approach this uh, as a as a Catholic and as a as a Thomist is that salvation is not something which is owed; that there is no obligation for um, anything uh, to us. Um, to be obliged to somebody uh, implies uh, either a a debt to the a debt to them, 
or at least a certain equality of nature uh, and a certain commonality, which is shared. Um, and it doesn't seem to me that we have uh, God is not in, would not be in our debt if you were created by by God, if the entire world exists because God made it, right? Um, it seems odd to it seems odd to me to say that uh, because God made you, right? He therefore owes you certain things, right? Beyond your mere existence. Now, now that's different from the case of a parent to child, right? Um, because with the parent and the child, parent and the child are equal in nature. Um, uh, that there that there is something there where uh, the purpose of my ability to procreate is to bring about new life. That is something which which it is, its purpose is to do, and thus because I brought about this new life, which which is I, I I fulfilled the purpose of procreating, I have obligations to my children, um, uh, to care for them. I, I you know I I can't just say sorry sorry you know sorry two year old you're on your own right. Um, on the other hand, I it's not the same. <clears throat> uh, with with God creating a world. Period. Right. On what basis? On on what right? Right. Uh, uh, what grounds do we claim a right um, which God is failing to uh, fulfill? Uh, so in that way, I would say no one is owed salvation. Um, if, as far as there is salvation, that would be a gift, a grace, something extra. Um, and in the same way that that I can give gifts to those whom I want. Right. And contrary to kind of you know our modern uh, kindergarten notions of. Everyone needs a participation trophy, right? You know, make sure everyone in the class gets the same thing. Um, if you're truly giving something gratis, freely, right, that's not owed, well, then it's not unfair if you give something to one person, but not to another. Um, and the example you give is a stark, is a stark, right, thing. It's, you know, kind of it reminds me a bit of uh, uh, the, uh, the, the hypothetical Ivan proposes in Brothers K, right, but under slightly different guise. But um, that, that, to me, does not seem logically uh, inconsistent with or a challenge to the basic principles here, just because I would say, fundamentally, um, God owes you nothing since, since uh, your existence is entirely from him, uh, whereas we owe things to him, um, just as children owe reverence to their parents, even if their parents are, right, you know, monsters to them. There's still some basic, right, respect or some basic regard or care that ought to be given, even if it's to try to correct, right, a wayward parent or an abusive parent's behavior, right, um, because because your existence comes from them. All right. Um, I I feel like I can I can definitely get behind um most of that. I guess um maybe owed would be the wrong word. Maybe that that would be too strong of a word for what I would um maybe that I didn't mean to um get that across. Um, I guess if I take like uh, om omnibenevolent, uh, omnipotent, and omniscient. Uh, if I take all of those factors to be true of God, um, then then I would think maybe not that uh, it's owed to me, but just that like um, I expect that to happen almost. I expect almost a innate desire, um, fulfillment. It almost feels like uh, it may not be owed to me, but it almost feels like if all of these things are true, then uh, he would want this. Um, I think of someone who's saying I'm doing a free giveaway. I'm trying to give as much to everybody. I'm trying to be super helpful. I'm an omnibenevolent person. And then they they stop short of like, they've got like $10 billion in their bank account. They stop at $5 million and they say, okay, I'm not giving any more uh, to the next person. I'd be like, well, I guess I'm not owed it, but you said you're omnibenevolent. I feel like this is like the, the whole, uh, I guess uh, it seems like somewhat of a point, but that's, I guess that's just my, um, my uh, perception. 
Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, I, I think it's a fair clarification, right? Um, uh, there, there. I think uh, just reflecting for a moment on uh, on punishment and reward, right? We would say that um, that to uh, punish somebody who is deserving of punishment due to their free choices, right, is something good as far as it is just. It's something deserved. Um, uh, and and uh, providing uh, reward, right, for those who have uh, for those who have done what they have been asked, right, or that which has been expected of them, right, is something good and is just. And showing mercy on people um, uh, is also something good because you're giving something good to somebody, right, as a gift. So there, it seems to me, I would I would want to say that. Um, uh, and this is kind of where I think I, I do. I, I'm lining up in the broad Christian tradition here um, uh, with with uh, with Daniel. Although uh, we definitely would have our theological disagreements on particulars, um, that that we would say that uh, that sufferings can be something good insofar as good can come out of them. Um, that uh, punishments can be good because they can be a source of reforming. They can be a means by which someone can recognize the wrong they have done. And if they don't, well, then it's still something good as far as it is just and deserved. Um, so the notion of of mercy can be found in uh, in and through uh, in and through sufferings. Um, now, the hypothetical of right, you know, the saint who who is uh, who who is given suffering um, uh, is a is a different question, which I think they're they were getting into, you know, partly the unknowable. Um, but, uh, but the best account I think that you can give is, is a just so, is just so thing of, of how it might be compatible with, with the benefit. Not that we right. actually can know. Sounds good. Thank you, John. Thank you, Walter, for back and forth. That was really insightful. We're going to go over to King now. He's going to add something in and we're going to follow up with some closing thoughts and announcements. So King, you there? Yeah, I'm right here. So the debate that many would probably have. Um, I know many Matabidi and Mutazilites today, unironically. And when they argue with Thomas, usually it's about this key point on the nature of omnibenevolence and what it means for God to will the good. So the Mutazilite says, well, God's not seeking my best interests at heart necessarily, wham, wham, wham. Um, and the Matalidi would probably say the exact same thing when arguing with this position. And I think it seems to be the argument made that I've generally heard is that, well, the will has to be oriented towards the good, and this means a general goodness and respect to me and respect to um, John and respect to Walter and respect to whoever else. And so why would that goodness that's oriented towards me not also consider my particular well-being as a person or his particular well-being as a person or whatever else? And so, this is the big so, this position itself is why the Metazolites ended up adopting what Walter was talking about earlier, a type of open theism, a type of view wherein God can't really know the future because if he did know the future, then that would cause problems for all the wickedness that we see going on in the world around us. So they denied omniscience, basically, to try to justify omnibenevolence with freedom and 
God being all powerful. All right, thank you. I I didn't mean to cut you off. Right. I <laughs> it's fine. But that's the way that they tried to go about that. And now I do, I would like to talk to John probably off camera and everything like this about this matter. Um, but I don't necessarily have strong sympathies towards that view that they have in general. I think you guys can tell from me earlier giving that paradox against them that I don't really enjoy the affirmation of this type of creedal view. So I would stand with John necessarily against this view on the nature of divine goodness if you are to affirm goodness in itself. But I've also noticed, I think John has also noticed this as well in our conversation, that our fundamental ontologies on the nature of goodness and being also disagree heavily. Um, because if you are a Platonist about goodness and evil and stuff like this, you're clearly not going to agree with a guy who is a borderline muriological nihilist on everything. <laughs> and you ask me, what is, what is that? I'm like, well, that's a chair, but really that's just a whole bunch of atoms composed part um, chair-wise. <laughs> um, so I don't really have much else to add other than that. I mean, there's... I think it was a good conversation. We got a bit, a lot of stuff that was interesting to talk about. And I think that we have at least made things clear. And I think that that's the whole point of these types of discussions to try to actually clarify what someone means when they're trying to affirm a particular position. And most people, I'll say this, uh, most people when they're doing philosophy almost never clarify it's much like um, listening to an idealist and a materialist argue, and neither of them identify what the heck it is to be an idea or to be matter. Um, I remember when I was listening to Peter Van Inwagen argue about materialism, and he's arguing with substance dualists. He's like, well, you know, to be matter is just to be composed of these meteorological symbols or like these atoms or whatever. And then I, I sat back and thought about it for a second. I was like, don't most people that also believe in souls and like this, you know, a soul and a body type of sense also believe that this thing can be divided into like tinier parts, really, if you <laughs> did the same thing? Like, is that not almost the same? I, you know what? I'm not even going to go fight an old man about this. But <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed, oh, voice crack, listening to um, us have a spat or discussion about these matters and I because these matters do matter these matters do matter um, they definitely do but yeah thank you <laughs> yeah thank you for that and you kind of beat me to the punch because we are wrapping up <laughs> episodes, and I'd like to go through for each of our guests and have like some closing comments or thoughts and Judging by what we said offline, I think we would be okay doing a part two of this to touch on more things as well, same people in the same panel at a different time. And I'm looking forward to that. But for this conversation, we're going to go through, see what everyone's thoughts are. Um, Walter, you first. Um, hey, guys. Uh, I thought the conversation was uh, really well had. I thought um, uh, John, Daniel, uh, King, um, Hazy, um, uh Mordecai, I thought all of you guys had some really awesome thoughts to bring to the table. I thought it was a really interesting conversation. Um, I always enjoy being able to talk about stuff like this. Um, you guys can um, find me on uh, Twitter at uh, Walta with a UH instead of an ER. 
uh, underscore world um, on Twitter. Um, that's where I usually do a lot of my stuff, a lot of um, political stuff, a lot of philosophy stuff, and also a, a lot of goofing around. But uh, I always enjoy having um, uh, conversations like these. All right, sounds good. Um, we're going to go over to Mordecai. What are your closing comments or thoughts? Yeah, first off, I want to thank you, Sola, for the invite. Um, really appreciate um, you putting trust in me to come on your space. So I really appreciate that. Just going to reiterate some of the stuff that I said earlier, right? So um, from the Jewish perspective, right? So Jews believe in the law given to them by God. Following this law is good. Disobeying this law is bad. Um, another notion is that free will causes moral evil. Um, natural evil can be explained by two ways. Number one, punishing sinners. It can also be explained by humans not understanding why natural evil occurs, um, which is, um, or sorry, which the book of Job affirms through the theodicy. Um, and then I'm going to, you know, insert another shameless plug. Uh, please follow Mordecai, that's M-O-R-D-E-C-A-I underscore M-M. I host X spaces on um, theology and geopolitics. Thank you again. Yeah, of course. And don't be ashamed for the plug. It's why we're doing this. It's why you guys are here. And thank you again for being able to join on short notice. God um, bless. Thank you. Yes, God bless. Um, go ahead, John. Yeah, no. Um, just kind of echo some of the things that uh, both Walter and Mordecai said. Um, one of the reasons why I love philosophy of religions and, and philosophy, natural theology, philosophy of God, is because in order to do it properly, right, you have to have discussions about pretty much every other aspect of philosophy, because we're going to have to debate notions of good and evil, right? Ethical notions, we're going to have to debate notions of power. Um, we're going to have to debate uh, 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 the, the idea of knowledge and theories of knowledge. So in order to do philosophy of God properly, you have to be able to be interested in and to really delve into and, and uh, touch on all the other interesting things that we do in other areas of philosophy. And so it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of like the, the, the best of thing. But that also means, though, to really profit by or to kind of have um, uh, productive discussions, right, in, about God um, really means doing a lot of talk that's not about God. It means talking about the different theories of good different theories of being, different theories of, of knowledge and whatnot, and uh, clarifying those, and that a lot of the disagreements that uh, might have been uh, had in this discussion um, uh, kind of stem from other more fundamental disagreements in other areas of philosophy. And uh, so, um, so if you aren't convinced necessarily, right, of, for example, the view I put forward, right, well, I don't think that necessarily is not against my view per, per se, right? Um, but I think it probably would be because we might have a disagreement on some other issue, right? Which is uh, which is where the real debate uh, would would start if we were going to you know hash it out Socratic style. Anyway, uh, I'm John H Boyer on Twitter X. That's J O H N H B O Y E R. Uh, you can find me tweeting random things about Aristotelian philosophy. Uh, occasional attempts at humor, which probably fail, and uh, and uh, participating uh, uh, infrequently uh, in various uh, philosophy spaces um, uh, that are held by likes of degenerates like Sola and uh, and and the other ilk that he uh, 
he hangs out with and that I, to my ever-living shame, also have begun hanging out with. Uh, but, uh, but thank you all. Uh, this, was, uh, this was a wonderful break from grading final exams. Um, and I'm probably behind on my grading because of this. But you know what? Sometimes procrastination is justifiable. And I think that, uh, that, uh, that uh, whatever, whatever suffering I might have later due to having more finals to grade and not enough time is not disproof of God's goodness or existence. Thank you, John. I uh, love you too, man. <laughs> um, we're going to go over to Daniel now for closing comments and thoughts. All right. Awesome. Well, I'd just like to say that uh, I really appreciate uh, you, you having me on this evening. I think that uh, it was a very interesting conversation. I think that everyone did very well. I appreciate how respectful everyone was and uh, the interesting ideas. Honestly, I think that there wasn't nearly enough time for this and I, I think that you said we're going to be doing a part two we could have talked about this for probably at least 12 hours it's a very uh complicated subject really because we are all approaching it with such different ideas about the world and you really kind of have to understand and a person's entire worldview to understand how they're dealing with this problem and it's hard to do that with six or seven different people but i think that we did about as good of a job as we could have tonight with the limited time that we had um just to reiterate what i was saying about my position uh i really don't think that it's a problem uh for the christian worldview that that evil or suffering is a problem i i think that the fact that there is something wrong with the world and that evil exists is a direct uh evidence that Christianity is actually true because in order for evil to exist, there must be a perfectly good moral being that exists uh, in order to ground such a thing as evil because there must be goodness. There must be uh, something real there. And then evil is the privation of that. And then the idea that suffering is bad and that the world is bad, um, you know, that automatically assumes that there's a way that the world ought to be the world ought to be a good way um it, it ought to be uh different than it is and and whose worldview can make sense of that once again uh to me it's it's the christian worldview uh that can actually make sense of this idea that there's something wrong actually wrong with the world there's a way it ought to be so i just wanted to hit on a, a couple of those things and uh i guess uh the last thing i'll say is um I'm once again, Darwin to Jesus. I'm over at Twitter mostly. I also have a little YouTube channel and uh, I tweet there a lot. I like to make memes. I like to make philosophical arguments. And I'm also having conversations now with atheists that are polite uh, and agnostics. So um, let's see, uh, Walter, I hopefully you and I could talk sometime. But anyway, um, that's all I'll say. So thank you. All right. Sounds good. And we're going to go ahead and bring it home with the one and only Hazy Dialects. Thank you for every single one of you participating in our season two finale of Rec Room Radio. It was very interesting to have all these unique perspectives come together and discuss the problem of evil at length. Problem of evil at length. Problem to it. That was just a little bit of a speech impediment moment. But um, I've heard a lot of um, arguments. I've heard a lot of uh, articulations as to why um, some of people's reservations about um, God um, offshore to the notion of God is exempt from this level of human evaluation. 
or um, God operates in a confine where he is the only arbiter of his own evaluation as to what it means to be moral or good. And I think uh, they've been sound for the most part. Um, I think I still have my, I still have mostly my position on it. Um, and I think primarily that there's with what does it mean to commit to religion? And I think uh, if we examine and evaluate that, I think it's equally as important to take into account why people are committing themselves to religion. Um, Michael Stone, um, in his, I think I'm saying his name right, a while back ago, wrote a book about Darwinism and Christianity Redux. response to my critics, I think Christianity is spot on about the original sin. How could one think otherwise when the world's most civilized and advanced people embrace a slime ball like Hitler and participate in the Holocaust? Um, another thing, when I was thinking about just the notion of human morality, um, this comes to mind. Everything painful and sobering and what psychoanalytic genius and religious genius have discovered about man revolves around the terror of admitting that what one is doing is earned in his self-interest. This is why human heroics is blind drivenness that burns people up. And passionate people are screaming for glory and uncritical, reflexive, as howling as a dog. And more passive, passive of mediocre, mediocre men it is disguised as humbling and um, complimentary to follow out the roles that society provides for their heroics. Man will lay down arms for his life, for his country, his society, his family. He would choose to throw himself on a grenade to save his comrade. He is capable of the highest level of generosity without sacrifice. He has to feel and believe that what he's doing is truly heroic, kindless, and supremely meaningful. Ernest Becker, The Denial of Death. Two of these things emerged to my mind to some degree because both of these arguments are trying to talk about um, to some essence that human beings are extremely capable of wrongdoing and evil and that even if someone was to make the strongest case or morality that resides within human beings, it will ultimately at least in terms of this confine, arguing that it is ultimately in self-interest. So what it means to be a religious person or the pursuit of that, that goodness, I think there has to be more because to simply um, say that it's not worth examining or saying it's meaningful for a human being's evaluation of God and its um, effect on human beings is, I think it just leaves human beings Pursuing God, um, some regard, purely for the sake of um, some self-interest. Um, you know, the holiness of just the internal heavens. Nothing else really um, matters because God cannot be used as a reflective of how we should operate because He is not beholden to our judgment. And I think there should be um, an evanescent flow of it of, of of those ideas. And so that's why. Um, my reservations um, hold as they are, and it would be interesting to um, tackle this idea and, you know, tease out more ideas at a later date. But thank you all for joining this episode. Um, Solo, would you like to do the closing <laughs> for this episode? Because I think I've spoken enough today. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for the record, we are going to be doing a part two of this to be determined timing and schedule. But this has been another one of the episodes from Rec Room Radio. Thank you for tuning in. You've seen this all in HD. Thank you. <laughs>